Welcome back, Shepherd the Sheep. Today we are talking about First Peter with the guys in studio who have been teaching it at our Bible studies. Thanks, Anthony, for that. That was, uh, of course, Anthony on the uh, guitar doing a little intro music, which uh, is kind of fun every now and then looking around the church and seeing other people who kind of know that and uh, recognize the tune. So good job, Anthony. Uh, so, yeah. Welcome back, G. I know you're here in studio. Yep. Oh, oh hold on. Yep, there we go. Unmute. Uh, mic. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we got we got multiple mics on today, so it's like first time for me to run multiple mics. Yeah, Mike. Mike, you're the engineer and the host, so. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know that I've had enough coffee for this, so, <laughs> yeah. All right, well, here we are. Uh, we got Isaiah, Scott, Thomas, and Gabe in studio. Uh, big Gabe, because uh, I have little Gabe. So, uh, for a little bit, until Gabe outgrows some of the Filipinos, then then I can't keep calling him little Gabe. Hey. So. um no one was offended by that not even (laughs) no yeah (laughs) well the problem is the problem is the one person that listens to us from germany isn't going to realize like hopefully the the person that listens to us from germany realizes the joke and yeah um yeah there's someone's not understanding this joke right now i feel bad for them well little 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 context for him right there is uh (laughs) We have we have two Filipino elders. Well, you're you're from Guam, um, yes. and I don't I don't think uh, are you taller than Chris? Uh, n- barely. No, I'm not. No, <laughs> he's he's barely tall. He's got like he's got half an inch. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. You know what? He, he he we look the same size, but he's like two inches old. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, 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 there's there's a this is all in cornerstone humor. So this is not <laughs> no no Filipinos were actually harmed with that statement. <laughs> Just my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Only hearts were harmed. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. So, um, but hey, this is a good introduction because uh, we picked First Peter because uh, First Peter uh, is good for the church. Good for the church. Uh, for multiple reasons, one of the reasons uh, at the context and the backdrop of First Peter is persecution and suffering, and Peter definitely is writing to a audience who is suffering. Uh, the The believers in the dispersion and um, who are spread abroad, uh, and in that Greco-Roman worldview time they would have definitely been undergoing persecution and suffering. And so Peter writes in the context of how then shall we live for Christ and really probably even answers the question, um, should, should Christ influence the way I live in the midst of suffering? And this probably uh, an important book, not, not because we looked out and we're like, Hey, we're, we're at a church who's got a lot of people who are suffering but just pastorally, you look out and you say, you know, um, there, there's two things. You are in the midst of suffering or you're not. 
Uh, and are you prepared for when that time comes? And so, right at some level, you're not necessarily putting, putting this book in front of the people because you're like, Hey, I want you to suffer. It's when that happens and it's a, when it happens, not if it happens, when this happens, are you ready to, um, are you mentally ready and prepared for suffering? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a big deal. Um, honestly in Christendom in general, my observation is, uh, just pastorally speaking that a lot of people, and, and when you maybe when you hear a lot of people, I'm prone to think, Oh, he's talking about somebody else. Maybe what I'm doing is challenging anybody listening right at this second is, are you mentally ready and prepared for one persecution, but two, are you prepared to serve the Lord today? Mm-hmm. Uh, because kind of an observation I've noticed is that, uh, you know, some people come home on Sunday night and they'll spend 20 minutes getting ready for Monday's work day so that when they get up, they have all their ducks in a row and they leave and go to work. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, sometimes we don't prepare for that. Mm-hmm. So we're just rolling along hoping it all goes well and for the most part like right the spirit is good protects us guides us directs us but but sometimes even even in like the daily you know mundaneness of walking with god as great as that is i find that we don't always take a second to prepare yeah that's that's true and if you think about the church historically speaking um persecution and suffering was the norm and, and so you think about our day to day, especially as an American Christian, you, you don't live this life assuming that you're going to suffer. You actually think, well, we're Americans, and not only that, we're Christians, so we're blessed. And it's such um, uh, it, it's a false expectation, I think. Uh, rather, Christ says you, you will suffer, and you know, if anything, the American church needs to know that that's part of life um you know we we do live in a blessed country absolutely yeah, like yeah. the the fact that we have the freedom to 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 worship not unlike china or like uh, other persecuted countries or closed countries freely is a unique um privilege in history yeah i mean even even the fact that you can um publicly insult your political leaders oh yeah yeah is a freedom that not not a lot of other countries have Yes. So, you know, now you may get shadow banned or canceled from Facebook because you use a couple unchoice words, but that's, that's a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's actually, by the way, uh, in the, in the thing of persecution. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of get an intro and then I'm going to pass everything off to these guys. Uh, but, but there's two, there's two observations I have on suffering. One, uh, my pride will lead me to think I'm suffering when I'm not. Um, because I will interpret suffering as these people aren't doing what I want them to do or they made my life difficult. Mm. So that's not necessarily suffering or persecution. Like you, it technically is suffering, but it's not the kind of suffering that Peter is talking about. Yes, that's uh, fair. Yeah, so what Peter's talking about is suffering for doing what's right and then other people are giving you a hard time, including canceling you, because you're doing what's right. Mm-hmm. 
And so this last Wednesday we were at Bible study and Scott was explaining uh, four, one through six. And I actually thought four, three, and four were probably the best like example, even within Peter for suffering because he, he says four. So he's, he's explaining, right. That, that explanatory gar, um, that's Greek, by the way, the gar is Greek for four, which is explanatory, uh, for the time that it is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. So they malign you. And I thought, okay, that's actually probably one of the better, um, like actual definitions of suffering in first Peter. And I found that helpful because, uh, one to be fair, most of the time my unbeliever friends are not shocked that I'm not going to drunken orgies and drinking parties with them. In fact, I have a lot of unbeliever friends who gave up drinking, um, see orgies as devaluing and are not interested in drunkenness or passions or sensualities because they came to a point where they realized it was destructive. And they were like, Hey, for my own life's sake, I got to give this kind of life up. Uh, What's also interesting is on is, is among some of the uh, millennials right now is a sexual ethical code where they're actually asking Hollywood to put clothes back on women because it devalues women. And so, right. So right there you have, so if I only look at first Peter four, three, and I only look at the sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, and drinking parties, which in in casual conversations, that's what comes up. Somebody would be like, well, they're, they're, they're upset with you because you're not getting drunk. Well, I, to be fair, even in my unbelieving party days, nobody got upset with me for not getting drunk. Cause I actually, if as an unbeliever, hated getting drunk and hated spending money on alcohol. Mm-hmm. I, I had other idols. And so it's that last one, that lawless idolatry that I think really for me was that was like the catalyst there because what, what you see in culture is there's a cultural standard and there's a there's kind of a po- a popular cultural definition of justice and righteousness, and when they look at us and say um, you need to acknowledge the shim, the mm-hmm. she him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like okay, one I agree that I need to respect this human being, but two I I don't need to say that doesn't, respecting the human being doesn't mean I need to go along with the human being like. Like it's actually in that person's better interest that I try to help him or her than try to go along and be supportive of, of their transition. And so in that case, now verse four, they get surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, mm-hmm. right? So now in their mind, you're, you're canceling their personhood when you're not you just have a different definition of personhood and you're like, Hey, out of a love for Jesus Christ, I actually want what's good for you. And what's good for you is to, is, is to in it right with love and gentleness and kindness is to actually like love you and not agree with it. Not Mm -hmm. to be like, Oh, it's okay that you, you think you're a, a woman trapped in a man's body. Like, um, no, you're a valuable human being. And so by the way, there's a whole probably discussion there. Um, even on how things get defined, but, but without going down that rabbit trail, the point is 
right? That response is often suffering and persecution. Yeah, that's really, that's yeah. really, really helpful because um, what, what you're saying is that the world wants us to worship their idols. And, and it's the, new, the new idolatry is, um, is really the ideologies of the world, and they expect Christians to, for some reason, it's that syncretism. Like, well, yeah, you can have your God. Yeah. Worship your God on Sunday, but you got to respect our God. Yeah. too yeah. and actually that's they don't call it gods but that ideology is a form of worship yes and that's what you're talking about there yes yeah that and that's the problem because right i have to give i i fear the lord love the lord serve the lord and actually what's best for you is that i do that mm-hmm. and that that's the most loving thing i can do and so peter right writing by the way too if you study uh, Greco-Roman history. At the time that Peter writes us, the culture was way worse than the cultures in America today. So anytime I hear somebody say, "Oh, the way America's going," the Lord's like, "We're like in in times level, cataclysmic." I'm like, "No, we're not even close." Hmm. Like when Paul says it's going to get worse, that's actually really a bad statement because it was already worse in Paul's day. So ethically, America's still cleaner than the Greco-Roman worldview was. Mm. So in the Greco-Roman worldview, um, you know, there there was no, um, how, I want to say this without being rated R, <laughs> uh, but listen, they, they were doing things with young kids that we would throw people in prison for. Right. Let me just say that, and it was acceptable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was okay. It's weird because they had they had some morals that that were good. Like they actually they had they, the way they understood womanhood was a little bit different. But at the same time, they had like worse things, like what you're yes. talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they actually devalued women too. They did. They yeah. did. Yeah. But uh, I've also read some stuff where like the way they treated them was also somewhat different than what we have understood historically too. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Okay. All right. So all that to say, um, this is kind of the backdrop of first Peter. So if you get pulled over for speeding, uh, and you had a fish sticker on your car, you're not being, uh, persecuted. You're, you're being pulled over for speeding. Um, if you're a jerk to somebody and then you're shocked that they're a jerk back to you, that you, that's not persecution and suffering. That's unbelievers responding the way unbelievers respond. Mm. Unfortunately, Believers, I've heard believers be like, well, you don't know what they did to me. And it's like, um, as a believer, you don't get to live like that. And I think First Peter confronts our thinking on that. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. So with that in mind, uh, Isaiah, I'm going to ask you the first question. Why should this church study First Peter? All right. So why should the church study First Peter? Um Obviously, you could give the simple Sunday school answer and just be like, well, it's God's Word. It's important to study. However, that doesn't capture everything that uh, should be said. So, you know, when we're saved, we're not saved into isolation, but we're saved into community with one another. And everyone in the church has the same identity. And that identity is Jesus Christ. So when we understand 
that our identity is in Christ, it should influence how we should live, not just personally, right? We, we have to think bigger than just ourselves because the temptation can fall into, oh, okay, well, I'm just focusing on myself. What can I take from this study? What can I take from this, um, this book of the Bible or this Bible verse? How can I apply it for myself? But we have to think bigger, right? Corporately, right? How should we live corporately? Because we have a responsibility to, to one another. And I feel like Peter really helps us take our focus off of the, um, the temporal and helps us focus on the eternal, focus on Jesus Christ, focus on um, the gospel and the ramifications it, it plays on how we should live, which is why, since I've been studying First Peter, if I was ever to write a book, I would, I would call it Peter's Guide to Ministry. Because um, if you look at First Peter, every time... Every time he's, he's addressing a, a situation, whether it's um, submitting to bosses, wives submitting to unbelieving husbands, um, you, know, you name it, all, all the different types of persecution and trials, right? What, what does he always turn back to? He always turns back to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, you know, and... I think it's important when you when you go through this, right? So you have to understand that ministry isn't reserved just for the pastor or the elder or the deacon, right? Like it's if you're if you're a believer, you're called into ministry by practicing your God-given gifts, right? Um, with each other, with the local church, and. Peter even addresses the, the church. He addresses a lot of individual situations, yes, but corporately we have a responsibility, and he addresses those things. He even says in First uh, Peter 2, he talks about how we are living stones, right, and we're being built up into a spiritual house, right? That means we're, we're active. We're, we're alive, one, because Jesus is alive, but we're, we're active. We're not idly sitting by on the sidelines. That means we're involved in each other's lives. Each piece has a, a significant role, right? Some bricks are larger than others, right? Just like different body parts have different functions, but they all work together cohesively with one goal, right? Um, pointing each other to Jesus Christ, proclaiming Jesus Christ. So I think when you, when you understand that, so why, why the church should study First Peter there's just so many areas that it addresses in our life, suffering, um, persecution, going through trials, um, going through um, just relationships with one another, right? Because just like you were saying yesterday uh, in your sermon, right, having relationships is, is difficult, right? Loving people can be hard. And with the context with Peter, these people are facing persecution, yet which can allow you to focus in on yourself personally and not start and, and not worry about others. But we're called, right, in what's Philippians 2, 4, don't just be mindful of your own interests, but the interests of others, right? So Peter really helps 
the individual and the church focus on what we're supposed to be focusing on, which is Jesus Christ. And I would say that that's probably why we should study first Peter. That's good. You definitely, you know, touched on something as you read through the gospels, you realize that uh, these are people you're reading about. And then you're listening to, to Peter being taught and you realize, yeah, Peter, did Peter learn something from Jesus? And the answer is yes, he did. And that, you know, that's what you're striking at is not just an individual thing, but a personal thing. But you brought up something there um, in that Isaiah 2 on identity with Christ and really, really pretty big deal in Scripture, uh, tethered to union. And so, uh, Gabe, walk, walk us through a little bit about uh, what it means. What what it, When we say your identity is in Christ, pretend like I don't know what that means at all. Like walk me through that and, and elaborate a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So it's important. It doesn't mean that you just view yourself as Christ, right? You're not Christ now when you say your identity is in Christ, but you view your life through the lens of Christ, through the lens of the gospel, through how Christ lived his life. So he needs to be your preeminent example for everything that you do, for how you want to conduct yourself with your neighbors, how as a husband you want to conduct yourself with your wife, or if, you have, if you're a wife, how you want to conduct yourself with your husband, for how you want to relate to your children, bosses, coworkers, everything, every ounce, every aspect, every nook and cranny of your life should be identified in the example that Christ left us. And it's, that kind of starts it, but so as someone who wouldn't know what the example Christ left us is, left us is we have to define what exactly is the example that Christ left us. And Peter talks about that quite a bit through it. If you look at First uh, Peter 2, starting in verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviled, and did not revile in return. While suffering, he uh, was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So right there, you see an example of behavior of how we are to conduct ourselves in the midst of any suffering, any trials, anything that we go through. We're not to respond tit for tat to any offenses that come our way. So if we think our boss is giving us a raw deal or he's treating us poorly in any type of way, we're not going to respond in a way that is combative or that is attacking. We're going to bear those sufferings in the same way that Christ did. And we're going to, and how did Christ do that? You talked about it in this, um, your last sermon on Sunday with the dirty jobs and stuff. He washed the disciples' feet, right? Including Judas, who he knew was going to betray him very soon. So he treated his enemies with love, with kindness, with compassion. He had a heart to see them saved. He went to that cross willingly, knowing that he was going to experience the most severe form of persecution known to man. And that just speaks to the physical, right? He was actually going to take the weight of all the sins of the world upon him as well. Willingly knowing that was about to happen to him, he still pursued love for his enemies. So that's kind of like a a jump off point, a start off point for how we should view ourselves in Christ. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So let me just kind of throw, um, uh, I want to use the word objection, but it's not an objection. Um, let, let me let me paint a stumbling block for you here, Gabe. Um, and and maybe 
with the understand with with the understanding of identity help me out here the the problem with me is that sometimes somebody's a jerk to me and i'm not expecting it and so i'm a jerk back if i understand identity and what you're saying right because my identity is in christ and he did give me an example my failure does that devalue me what what's how do I understand? You know what I mean? Because I unfortunately I, I read Peter, and then I I walk away and I go, dang it, I blew that one like none other. Mm. So does that make sense? Yeah. Like, and I wasn't trying to blow it. It's not like I walked into the store like going, I hope I pick a fight today. I hope some guy's a jerk so I can be a jerk back. Right? You're kind of like caught in the moment. You're you're you know honestly you're just thinking about like I've been down this aisle sixteen times. Uh, I wish the list would have told me that all four of these items were in the same aisle. <laughs> uh, this, this, this is the difference between man shopping and, and, and wife shopping. I think, um, yeah, except for Gino. Cause I think Gino <laughs> does all the shopping for his family. So yes. I, I don't have the luxury of looking at the list sometimes and knowing. So you see what I'm saying? Like I do. Yeah. I'm somewhere and somebody does something or, or somebody says something and not being prepared for it, focused on something else. None of that, by the way, excuses my behavior. All like my heart wants to use it as an excuse, but at the end of it, I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. All of those factors don't matter. I did not respond in a way that was Christ-like and loving. Now, has my identity in Christ changed? No. So I think okay. actually um, what you're getting at might be a, a little bit um, implications of the fact that your identity is in Christ. So even when you, because... We know that Christ has died on the cross for our sins. We know that he is resurrected, defeating sin and death. And our faith is in him. So we've been adopted by the Father into his family. Um, Peter even tells us that we've, um, it says in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. So God the Father is the one who has caused us to be born again. Nothing of our own power has done this, right? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance, and I think this is going to get to the part that uh, you're kind of talking about here, an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, right, it's saying that the power of God himself has sealed our identity in Christ. We are no longer who we once were, right? We're a new creation. We're born again. And that inheritance that we have in heaven for us is sealed. It's protected. It's there for us, right? Um, so, yeah, when you stumble, when you sin, when you make mistakes, that doesn't invalidate the fact that Jesus Christ has already paid your debt of sin, right? Your identity is still in Christ. And what that allows us to do is have hope and the assurance of our salvation in those moments when we do sin so that rather than allowing that to become like a downward spiral where you just keep uh, uh, beating yourself up over it or falling into more patterns of sinful behavior, you can run to the cross and realize that Christ paid for that sin. So your identity is still in him. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, I, I think that the, the, the the concern for me would be for anybody who only feels confident when they, when they know they when they are like looking back at their actions going, I did it the right way. Because even though there's a part of me, that's like, man, I'm glad I did it the right way. And there's a comfort there. 
there, to me, there's a difference between confidence and comfort. And so my confidence, if my confidence is in my works, the question is why? Whereas at the same token, sometimes doing the right thing can be comforting because you're like, look, I can't make other people do what they're supposed to do. But I at least know in that situation, I was above reproach and did the right thing, even if the other person didn't like it. But if my confidence is in that, then the question to me is, is my identity, do I really understand my identity in Christ? And is it possible that I'm, I'm, I'm buying into a salvation by works? Because Peter very much is not, he's not saying our confidence is in our works, but he is trying to encourage us in how to respond to these situations. Yeah. So Thomas, um, kind of to, to piggyback off the question with Isaiah, why should the church study first Peter? What, what have you uncovered in that? Well, I think we all need to have a theology of, of suffering. Uh, when, when suffering hits us, let's just say something comes at us, like, like, like your example, Jason, uh, our first inclination, right, in our fleshiness is to go turn inside, right, take a personal, and then we react, right, like, like I'm going to act like a jerk back to that person. But our natural tendency is to turn towards me, right, instead of remembering the Lord, uh, being mindful of God, right? One endures sorrow while, while suffering unjustly, right? It's a, it's a gracious thing. That's a good thing. So we need to have this theology because the time is coming, right? We're, we're promised suffering, uh, persecution, hatred, tribulations, trials, all those things. We're, we're promised. So like you said in the beginning, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of when. So what are we doing to prepare for these things when they come? So when they come, we're not just running around like a chicken with their head cut off saying, what do we do, right? We, we have something in place. We have, we have a theology in place. We, we have a, um, a, a plan for when we go through these things. And so it was that, that video that you sent of the two pastors on stage being asked for the questions, and one talked for 18 minutes about this and that and the other, and the other one got about two minutes because they were running out of time, and he simply said, you know what? We need to teach our children all the way up to as we're adults, we need first Peter and we need to understand first Peter. Right. And, and, and just like what a hallelujah, because the, the first one was kind of going and it was like, no, it's just first Peter. It's first Peter. It's first Peter. It's first Peter. Please come to the Bible study tonight. Right. And then the second one was just so, well, well, it's not simple. Right. I mean, put yourself in the position of some of these things that we've gone through um, like in, in chapter three, um, well, not, not simple. It, it, it's simple that, yeah, we, we need a plan and we have first Peter to, to give us that. So we need to know it. We need to study it and, and put it into works, put, yeah. it, put it into our life. And just so people are aware, I'm, I'm not interested in necessarily getting into, uh, the personal details of that video. No, no, no. But, but, um, the, the one guy at the beginning was, was really lamenting the way the United States the last 50 years of the United States and lamenting what um, I'm going to argue is maybe a narrative because it's the media's narrative. Right. And so the media, the media kind of, the media can always shape, can, can influence and shape the way we think of America based on what do they pick for their cover stories? What do they pick for their headlines? Yeah, they're doing it every day. Yeah. The reality is every day they wake up and they, they could choose right today. They could have chosen, Hey, 6 million Americans woke up today and went to work with no problems. They could, they could have said that, 
but they don't because that doesn't like, unfortunately our, our sinfulness uh, likes conflict. And so conflict drives, look, the media is in to make money. So the one guy goes off for a long time lamenting the ethics of America and the shape of America. And even the way that, that he's not wrong. I didn't find any of his lament like wrong. I wasn't like, Hey, I think you're wrong to me. It was what you're getting at. It was the second guy came along and was like, yes, but that's the world. We're not citizens of the world. So because we're not citizens of the world, we're citizens of the kingdom. We actually have, we're here for a reason. We have a job and that job is to um, not embrace suffering, but, but embrace the calling in the midst of suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And on a guide while we're going through it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because so uh, this was not in the pre-discussion. So I'm just going to let any of you guys raise your hand and answer this question because what, what came up, what's come up in the discussion is the reality that we are believers in the world of unbelievers and unbelievers sometimes are the arm of persecution, right? They're the instrument of persecution. But what is our goal with those unbelievers based on what you've learned with first Peter? And I'll, I'll just throw it up if any of you want to answer that. Yeah, there you go, Gabe. So you're saying, what is our goal with these unbelievers when they're persecuting us or treating us poorly? Yes. To see them saved. Yep. We want to minister to them. That is the goal. Um, in uh, chapter two, he's talking about, first. Uh, Peter's talking about seeing ourselves as aliens and sojourners or exiles in the world that we live in. And he's talking about uh, dealing with uh, uh, corrupt governments, right? They're, uh, they're punishing you, they're treating you poorly, or even society in general treating you poorly. And he says in there, let me find the verse. Um, if anyone knows this, the one where he's saying, honor all people, love the brotherhood, honor the king, I'm trying to find it. There is uh, verse 17 of uh, chapter two. He says, honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. So in that, it's, in, it's a blueprint and an example for how we are to treat everybody. And this is in the context of people who are treating us poorly. And he goes on to say that this finds favor for if the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unrighteously. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this finds favor with God. Right, so it's saying right then and there, we are to respond not tit for tat for how we're treated. We're not to respond in kind to poor treatment, but we are to respond with love, respond respond with kindness. We respond with doing good to that other person with the hopes that is going to lead them to Christ. Yeah, that's good. That's probably why you need a plan. That's probably why you can't just wake up and roll. I I would probably encourage, you know, you wake up on a Monday morning. And you know you're getting ready for work. And so you pray, Lord, I don't know what today holds, but help me to be mentally ready for one, somebody, you know, one, some kind of conflict. And again, I think there's a difference between looking for conflict and being ready to respond to conflict. Well, you guys go out on the streets, right? You're not looking for conflict, despite what the media may say. Um. Right. So you get into a conflict and that's where your training kicks in. And it's the same thing for us. Like, okay, Lord, help me to understand that. And so at the heart of that is the hope and example of the cross. And that the one thing listening to, to you guys teach first Peter and kind of reading it on the side a little bit as you guys are, are mainly studying it is what, what to me, one of the more shocking parts as a Christian is 
how much he talks about the cross of Jesus Christ and how much he talks about Christ's mental approach to the cross and his thinking about the cross and his disposition towards it almost to the point to where, you know, early in my Christian life, I was like, Oh, the cross is like one Oh one. We need to get to two Oh two in eschatology. And Gina, you and I've talked about this a hundred times on the podcast. No, the gospel is actually 202, 303, 404, 505. Like it's actually silly to ever think you don't need to think more about the cross. So Scott, talk to us a little bit about the hope and example on the cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, first Peter has the context of suffering for righteousness sake. And admittedly, even in my own job, like I don't suffer for righteousness sake. There's not, there's no suffering. Most of the guys in my job are kind of conservative. So when I, talk about these things or even about the gospel, there's not really any pushback. Um, so for me, First Peter is more about preparing the heart and for when suffering does come, because it's not if, it's when. Um, and that's what Scripture tells us. And I, I think about First Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So, That's where my rejoice, that's where my hope, that's where my focus lies. And if I'm armed with that and my heart is prepared with that, when the suffering does come, then I will be able to endure like Christ did on the cross. Because he was, Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and despised its shame. So when the suffering does come, I will have the same mindset and the same hope in Christ and have the same desire to see the, the unbelieving world saved. And if my heart is prepared that way, when the suffering comes, I'll be able to endure and still have the mindset of Christ and, and sharing the gospel and wanting to see my fellow man saved. Yeah, you think that's a, like on the cross, Christ is um, one, could have held up his hands and say, you actually, all of you owe me your honor but he didn't um, because as like, as you just mentioned, his mindset is set on the mission and the mission is actually to save these people who are in the midst of crucifying him there on the cross. Um, you know, you think about that Christ knew exactly why they did what they did. Okay. It's their unbelief and their idolatry. And uh, I think in my own personal study, what I've, and I think I've started sharing this more with the church lately is I see the two big idols of the heart being control and comfort. Uh, And I really do think that that the Pharisees put Jesus on the cross, not, not just the Pharisees, by the way, Uh, all of us would have put Jesus on the cross because um, it's just more comfortable not to have him. Uh, It's the perceived more comfort not to have him. And I can keep control if I don't have to submit to somebody else. Um, You know, uh, I think, I think there are some people right? That'll, that'll make decisions in their lives at work. They won't do the right thing 
because it's more comfortable to do the other thing. And so, and some of, some of you are at work and have bosses who don't do the right thing. Instead, they do it the more comfortable thing. And then here's Jesus uh, doing the right thing, even though he knows these people are doing the wrong thing because of their idolatry. But, but he's looking at the bigger picture, right? The end goal of, of, Hey, this is going to save these people. And some of these people after this event are going to be um, convicted of their sinfulness, even in this involvement. This is going to be cool at the banquet table. There's probably going to be a discussion with somebody who's like, Oh yeah, I, I, I voted yes. You know, hopefully. So anyway, that's good. Okay. So hope example in Christ, Scott, like as you've, you kind of came into first Peter halfway through, uh, picked up kind of some of the teaching load, um, which might be helpful since one guy couldn't keep his Achilles heel together. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, just personally, what, what is something you've learned from first Peter? Uh, personally, what I've learned is to keep my mind on Christ. There is a, there is a, a way of getting complacent or comfortable in where you're at. And uh, I just kind of noticed that you can kind of start to look at the people that you look like the people that are around you. And um, studying first Peter and seeing how the church is supposed to look, how they're supposed to stand out, how they're supposed to um, surprise people made me realize that, wow, I really need to, focus on Christ more so that I look like that, that I look like the church. And so it has uh, drawn me closer to him and, and being conformed by him to, to be that example that the church should be. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, gee, we were talking uh, kind of pregame, um, you know, you uh, working there on Monday night with Gabe um, and you're talking a little bit about um kind of peter's discussion of holiness and the doctrine of man Mm, yeah yeah do you want to yeah chime in on that absolutely um uh actually when when people think of holiness i think they remember first peter uh be holy for i am holy and oftentimes we um we how, how we define holiness holiness actually really matters but the more i think about it um, when Christ says, "Be holy, for I am holy," um, that, that's such. There's a big question to answer. What does that mean? And really, it must be founded in the character of who Christ is, in His character, in in, in His ways, and in, in how He walked and how He served, and all of that matters. All of that matters. It's not. Um, I, I think the temptation in defining what holiness is. Um, is to kind of pick and choose kind of some maybe uh, maybe laws, rules, um, maybe things that we need to do to be better so that I can be more holy when actually holiness is found in who Christ is. And asking the question, ask, asking the question what does it mean to look like him? And that's actually a difficult question, by the way. I feel like it took, it took I've been a Christian for over 20 years. And I feel like I'm still learning how to do that. So holiness, um, you know, it's, it's rooted and grounded in Christ. And the more you study Christ, you realize just how loving, how patient, how kind he is. 
and the practical everyday applications of what that looks like and means. Um, specifically in Peter, it's how you treat those who oppose you. And um, if you're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be holy? Well, what was Christ's mindset for human beings? How did he view them? And this is where the doctrine of man comes in. Christ created us. And when he created us, you know, he, 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 we are not, you've said this before, we are not just another creature in the animal kingdom. We are actually made in the image of him. So when he saves us, yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're not worthy to be saved. But there is something about human beings that is unique. And it, it is that in some shape or form, we reflect his image. And that makes us valuable. Um, not only does it make it valuable, it doesn't make one human being more important or more valuable than another. Thus, believers and unbelievers, right, have the same kind of value. Um, and so understanding that will affect the way we do ministry, right? So um, it's easy to love a fellow believer at church. We love the same things. But what about those who oppose you? What about those who hate your God? Oh, it's so easy to be offended. But Christ uh, on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And so that's the heart of Christ. He's always, I guess he's always, um, uh, when he's trying to do ministry, he's always um, viewing uh, us as frail and weak, even in our high-handed opposition rebellion, even when we think we're strong or we look strong. Um, he, he knows that we're frail and, and that's helpful to me as I'm trying to learn how to be holier. Yeah. What you just, what you just said is really big because early on in my walk with Christ, I thought of holiness as staying away from these six things. Right. Right. Which was easy. Cause you're just like, well, I don't want to get drunk. Um, so that's easy holiness. Right. But then you're like, Oh, staying away from porn will make me holy. Uh, staying away from, you know, um, Cheating at work will make me holy, you know, staying away from like that will make me holy. And what you just argued was actually like learning how to love and serve people is actually holiness. Yes. Yeah. And what that looks like. So like all those things that you, 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 um, define as holiness, the the other end of it where it's like, I'm not going to do this actually is connected with how we treat people. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause so if you're, you're going to stop, um, um, being angry, for example, well, you're actually learning to love people and how to be patient with them, right? <laughs> so, right, or, or porn, right? You're actually learning uh, how to value human beings. Um, so it's all connected with love. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think, does I don't always mention this a lot, but uh, the, the best, the best, I realize that like, even as strong as a, as a young man with lust, you kind of look at it and you go, Okay, I can I can put covenant eyes on my computer. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. But what I found is when I actually started to realize I'm talking, I'm looking at human beings who are made in God's image, who are worshipers themselves. I actually started caring about their soul, and I found that it was hard to lust at the same time. Yeah. So actually, it's interesting as you say that because I think the temptation for people is like, well, if I battle lust, you know let me go do these things. And it's like, well, actually, if you'll learn to love that person, you'll actually kill for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. the lust. Yes. Because it's, again, it's hard to look at somebody selfishly when you want 
what's best for that person individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then you realize the shape of their body or whatever, it doesn't matter. That doesn't define them. They're a human being who needs Christ. Yep. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. Put on, put, put on and put off that, that, that model, put on, yep. putting off lust and selfishness and putting yep. on love and service. Yeah. Yeah. They're opposite ends of, of, of each other and you can't do both at the same time. That's good. Yep. I like it. All right. So, um, thinking about Peter, um, Isaiah, um, kind of pass the mic down to you. Um, you definitely noticed kind of in your own life, you want to maybe articulate a bit, like what if, what if, what has Peter personally taught you and maybe, maybe even apply it to kind of how then should, should you live? Yeah. So for me, um, Peter has really helped me to just rest in Christ. Um, you know, no, no matter what's going on in the world or, you know, in my life, um, like my, my footing is strong. I stealing from Peter's thesis, right? Um, first Peter five twelve, right? Stand firm in the true grace. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Um, like I know no one can take that away from me and that comforts me um, so much because, you know, life is unpredictable. Um, you know, tearing my Achilles was unpredictable and it stinks, but you know, then I don't know if you guys knew, but then my, my car got broken into and I had stuff stolen from it, but it's like, you know, it's so easy to just get in like a little pity party and just be angry and get bitter. But it's like, for me, first Peter has really just helped me rest in what I have because of Christ. Like I have this inheritance, this, this treasure that no one can take away. And I'm, I'm a child of God and I've, I've been adopted. I've been for my sins have been forgiven. Um, I'm I'm gonna be sitting around the banquet table with the Lord with with other other believe other believers and just worshiping God and for me that that helps me put things in perspective. So it's like wh- whatever I'm going through in life, you know, I have my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church that are always here to help and support me and minister to me and. Um, even even in a in a small way, I've had Scott minister to me when, you know, I it might, might be a small example, but when I when I tore my Achilles, he helped give me some really good wisdom and advice. Whistley went out of his way to help me out, and I, I saw that just the, the the Christian love that that came from it, and it just you know it's encouraging to me seeing it, and then just personally, like I. It helps me want to be that example to, you know, my wife, my, my kids, and help them realize, like, hey, you know what, you're you're in Christ, you're secure, right? They they might be able to throw insults at you, they they might be able to hurt you personally, you, you might lose your job, but no one can take away your salvation in Christ. Yeah, that's good. Were you on offense or defense when you tore that thing? 
<laughs> I was actually saving kids from a, a burning building. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Jumping yeah. out of a helicopter. Saved about 20 orphans. You sh- oh, probably great. should have seen that in the news. Yeah. Were you hanging off of the uh, the, the helicopter landing? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I With landed one arm. One wow. arm. I tore the Achilles when I landed, and I still saved all the kids. Oh, it was pretty amazing. And you were shooting a gun at the same time. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah. 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 Standard police officer yeah. work. It's uh, police 101. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Scott wasn't flying you. Uh, no, he, he he missed that mission this time. Yeah, it was yeah, a, yeah. It's because uh, he can't fly a helicopter. Exactly. Crazy? I was actually on an unmanned airplane. Uh, oh, Mc- wow. McLean had a drone out, and I was hanging on that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it was pretty cool. Oh, Sean McLean. Not, yeah. not, uh, oh, yeah. not, not, not the other not one. Not John McLean. <laughs> yeah, okay. he wishes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, this is a, I sw- I've seen this Die Hard movie. Yeah, I, I've been this. I've been here before. <laughs> um, yeah. So you weren't you weren't going for a dunk? Uh, no, I did dunk that day. Wow! But uh, I was just dribbling up the court, oh, and okay. uh, yep. I got shot down. <laughs> <laughs> I just I was trying to picture Linda when you said I hurt myself today at playing basketball. I, oh, I texted her and she was like, "Yeah, I'm not surprised." <laughs> <laughs> That's what you need. You need a wife that'll uh, that'll remind you. So, all right, good. All right, well. Um, uh, I think we got uh, a couple more minutes here. Um, so, in terms of First Peter, uh, things you've learned, um, th- those are really good. Thomas, anything specific stand out to you uh, personally that you've you've kind of picked up from this? By the way, I think I'm asking this question just just in case you're listening and wondering why why this question is important to you. Uh, it, it it goes like this: um, our job is to teach you scripture. But there's this little line in there to pass along what you have learned. And and even in my own teaching, I've gone from trying to be um, like level 10, right? So if I'm teaching on suffering, kind of my old way of thinking was to, was to know every nuance of suffering the second I taught it. Uh, more to, hey, learn, let the text influence you and pass along what you've learned from 2 Timothy 2.2. And what that means is because what you start to realize in scripture is that there's a lot of themes are repetitive and you're, you're always going to learn over time. If ever you sit there and you go, I've already, my theology is perfect. I've arrived. Well, I'm going to pray for your soul because you're talking about the transcendent God. So that's why I'm asking this question because I think it's good to, to when guys are in in depth studying something, it's good to hear what has the Lord personally like led you to understand in your own life better because it, Again, we're sitting under the feet of people that are spending hours in this text learning, studying, and, and putting together lessons. So that's, that's why I'm asking this question. Go ahead, Thomas. Uh, I think it echoes what uh, Isaiah said. But but for me, maybe, maybe some, I don't know, unbelief, but like that, that true trust, right? Like I said, like a, when something bigger happens um and the tendency to turn to to myself and then this really showing that that trust i think you mentioned it sunday right with the crucifixion um but all Christ's friends right where were they at the time of need you know you got everybody People gathered to lie about you, 
about Christ, but mocked, abused, beaten, bloodied up, right, separated from God on the cross. And I, I looked to myself and said, okay, how do you endure that, right? So we, we have this model, right? We, we, we know these things. So First Peter is kind of, I needed to develop that philosophy. You know, it would be easy. I don't want to say, like, I, I didn't have one and I turned to myself. No, but, but to really, really get it down and understand it and have something that I could live by and causing me to, to remember the Lord first. Um, so that, that trust thing for me, because I, I, I guess you could call it unbelief, right? Yes. But, you know, I, I, I think about, you know, getting stoned back then. That's, that's not, like, who would want that? Okay, suffering, prosecution, right, these, these things. You're talking about not stoned with marijuana. No, I'm no. <laughs> talking about, talking about uh, you're laying there and you people, are, some of the people are starting the to pick up rocks and throw yes, them on yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. Where, where are your guys' heads at? This well, is this just... Is, this is a generational thing. Wow. Going on all, all the young people. Um, right, but, but really, really seeing that in this book, really understanding to you know, read it, put put into place that, and, and I think just understanding going through this, that, that yes, I could trust, and the Lord is my, my example. Yeah. Would you, would you extend that? This is, I can trust beyond just the Lord too, to, to even other people in the church. You're talking about like on a personal relationships or, or teaching that? Yeah. Personal relationship level. Yes. And I'm asking this because um, sometimes, and again, this was, this is, so I'm going outside of our pre discussion. Sorry, guys. Um, but I think this is where the discussion is going to is that sometimes persecution and suffering is within the church. And the expectation is that other people in the church are going to treat me always with love and biblically the way you're supposed to. And so, right, the ideal is that you won't be sinned against in the church. Reality says that's that's not even, like, that's idealistic pie in the sky. Like, you're not in heaven. You can, you can have that expectation for the banquet table. You cannot have that expectation on this side of heaven. So, unfortunately, a lot of us have seen, I think we even talked about this before, how, you know, we had a visitor who then later said, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't need that Christian. I don't need the church. And sometimes it's because they're burned from the church. Yeah. And you definitely don't get the sense that Peter is encouraging that line of thought at all. So kind of impromptu question, and and whoever wants to answer it can answer it. But uh, th- there is a sense, right, in which Peter is not saying you can do this alone. And I don't get the sense anywhere that Peter's saying, hey, if you've been burned by the church, the appropriate response is to stay away from the church and go be by yourself. In fact, I get the sense that Peter's actually would tell you to you need to double down, double down, yeah. and that your perspective's probably wrong, right? Because in a way, Peter's not saying, "Hey, everybody else should live this way." He's saying you need to think this way. So to kind of tie together what you guys have all said, right? That think about Christ on the cross, 
running into a corner and choosing to disengage. That's not what Christ did. Um, that dishonors other people, right? Because now you're not serving them, right? So in a sense, like, yes, you've had your, yes, somebody's, every pastor has the story of somebody who stabbed him in the back. Sure. Um, and the fact that they're still pastoring is probably more an example of what they should do, right? Because if every pastor left the ministry for being stabbed in the back, you'd have no pastors mm-hmm. ever. Like there'd be no, no pastors. Because mm-hmm. it's not like it happens at year five. Oftentimes it happens within the first two weeks of being, even being in the church. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean? Like that you can't go that route. Christ didn't go that route. Godly men don't go that route. No, and I think that we've talked about that. At some point, um, if I haven't already, which is, means yeah, probably 100% that I'm going to sin against somebody inside the church, that somebody's going to let you down, that somebody's going to stab you in the back. You've, you've been around long enough you know, that, that that's happened to you, especially in the business context. Um, other believers, but we were in business together that, you know, would lie, steal, and, and things like that from you. Um, right, so so what's the answer? And the answer is keep loving them, keep serving them. There's no comma in, in the Bible, but, oh, yeah, but in, you know, unless they do this to you. I mean, it just doesn't exist. So keep loving, keep serving, you know. So you get to that thing, yeah, I'll love them and I'll serve them, but I won't trust them again, I'll tell you that much. And it's like, well... That's like, yeah, you know, the, the proverbial, uh, you know, I, I don't want to do what I shouldn't do in a tuxedo. You know, it, yeah, I'll love them, I'll serve them, but, but I can't trust them ever again. You know, maybe there's some work to do. Maybe you're not saying that you got to trust them right away, but there's some work to do in that relationship. But if it's a, a Christian relationship, but. That would be hard. Do you think about it? Have you guys ever thought about that? What if God was like that? The second any elder sinned, you, you couldn't have elders in the church. Yeah. Because if that was the like, well, I can never trust him again. Well, like I, already God can't trust me because I think I sinned already before you guys even got here today. You know, like, and that, that doesn't mean, right, every human being sins. Again, if I could write a book on sanctification, one chapter would be, okay, you sinned, now what? Right, not. I would try to dis. I would spend quite a bit of time trying to dispel the idea that you can have sin eradicated from your life outside of a glorified body. So, therefore, the difference between a mature godly human and an immature godly human is the mature godly human owns it, owns it, and continues to rest in Christ. Whereas the immature one excuses it, wipes it away, pretends like it didn't exist. Oh, I was tired. Oh, I was hungry you know, has a hundred excuses, but what's not there is an ownership and a repentance and a confession. And a, Hey, I would even say part of responding to your own sinfulness is, is taking a, okay, wait a minute, this keeps coming up. Why does this keep coming up in my life? And what is, are there some changes I need to make in my thinking, right? If you're always losing it with your kid when they're acting like a two-year-old, you probably need to rethink something there, right? Like, okay, what, what is it in my thinking here? So, and by the way, we, we all have to, as a parent, we all have to go through that because I mean, I, right. It's just part of parenting. So anyway, all to say, like, if God were like that, we'd be done. And you think about it, he entrusted the church, even though he, he, 
He, he did not make us the head of the church. He entrusted the church to men. He entrusted the gospel to broken men to share the gospel with other broken people. It's crazy. It's literally mind-boggling that God would even do that. Because he could have angels in the sky, right, rolling around proclaiming the gospel in front of every house, but he doesn't. So it's weird. All right, Gabe, I know I, you grabbed the mic. Did you have something? Uh, no, Thomas just handed it to me. Oh. <laughs> well, interesting. So Gabe, personally, uh, uh, I think we'll probably wrap it up here, but so we'll, we'll let you wrap it up here, Gabe. Uh, something you've learned specifically and maybe maybe kind of close us out with the heart of Peter's message. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think one of the biggest things that has been um, an encouragement for me going through First Peter is um, it really has been the, the um, way he's emphasized how we are to conduct ourselves and to continue loving each other despite adversities. Um, and we haven't got there in the studies yet, but in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound thinking and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So um, he goes on to say a bit more, but that really kind of hits, I think, at part of what the heart of um, the first Peter is. And the heart of it is found in first uh, Peter 512, where he says that I have written to you briefly, exhorting and bearing witness that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So tying a few things that we've been talking about together, like why, why does the church need to study this? Why is this important to ministry? Um, how can this shape and affect the way that we live? It all ties into looking through. Hi, guys. It all ties into um, what Peter says at the end there. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And he's explained throughout the entire letter what the true grace of God is. The reason I read that verse in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, where he's talking about um, above all things, keep fervent and loving one another is because we need one another to actually stand firm in the true grace of God. Isaiah brought it up earlier, but when he talked about how we are all living stones, right? Meaning that we're all active. We're not dead. We're actually playing a part, an active role in serving the church and serving one another and loving each other. Now, there may be at times where part of uh, the building has a crack in it, and it's not performing the way it's supposed to, and maybe it's causing distress. Or if you extend that analogy or metaphor to what um, Paul uses as uh, the body, sometimes you have a torn Achilles in the body, and it's causing pain to the rest of the body, right? Thanks, Isaiah. <laughs> but right, right in that moment, that 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 injury is causing pain to the rest of the body. Do you neglect that part of the body, or throw it aside? Do you say like, Doc, I just want this part of my body chopped off? No, you, like, you're going to do what you can to help minister or serve or heal that part of the body, right? Because we're all interconnected. If there's a crack in the foundation, if there's a hole in the wall, you're not going to neglect it. You're going to patch that hole up. You're going to do what you can to fix it. So it's, obviously it's an analogy and it can break down over time, but that is capturing the idea of how we all are needed in the body of Christ to serve each other so we can continually stand firm and the true grace of God. And that's what I think Peter is communicating mostly throughout this whole letter. That's great. I love it. 
It's uh, hard to be a lazy Christian and follow First Peter. Mm-hmm. But the interesting part is the more you understand that this is what we were talking about this at elders, the more you understand the cross, the easier it is to be motivated. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So that, you know what I mean? Like, cause at some level, sometimes you're, you're just tired and you're worn out and you're like, do I really want to do this? And what I found is the more I understand the cross, the easier it is to love other people and the easier it is to get up and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not because you're trying to do something to earn favor. You're doing something because you just, you're thankful for God. Thankful people work hard. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Got much to be thankful for. Hey, love you guys. I appreciate you guys. Um, the studies have been good. I haven't been able to, I haven't visited all of the Monday and Thursday nights, but so my family has been encouraged by the Wednesday night. And so keep up your studies. Uh, keep learning Christ. I think that's what's interesting too, is you guys have all done a good job of realizing these aren't just like rules that are written on paper. These are commentaries on the work and the attitude and the mindset of Jesus Christ. And there's a difference. Um, You can teach scripture like it's a set of principles and you learn the principles, or you can realize these are the revelation of the character and nature of our God. Yep. And so what I've heard you guys have taught this as the character and nature of God, which is good because um, 66 books, all of them revealing him to us. So there is a sense in which there's overlap with other texts um, and we can we can learn a lot about God by taking these ideas and looking at other texts um, and reflecting back. But it's been good to hear uh, you guys remember that he's talking about Jesus Christ, the living God, who is the Savior of our soul. Amen. Not not living stones or living stones, not getting stoned. There you go. Not kidney stones. <laughs> living stones. We're living stones. We're not getting stoned. Yeah. Yes, this is true. I know. No, no, the album, it was so funny getting stoned. Sorry, Thomas. I, so, I've sat there at first. I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like getting stoned to death, like punishment. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, I was, yeah. All right, that's how it goes. Yep. Well, listen, uh, what we're going to do is um, is we're going to let Anthony finish us off here. And so close us out. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, again, if you have questions or comments um please feel free to to ask i'm sure any one of these guys would be happy to sit down and go over more first peter with you um and encourage you to be there monday monday wednesday or thursdays uh bible study is a vibrant part of church life not just what we learn from the text but uh praying together and fellowshipping um to be honest uh Living out the things that these men have talked about is easier when you know the people around you. And the best way to know the people around you is to spend time with them. And Bible study is a healthy, safe environment to spend time with people, uh, to get to know them, uh, to invest in other people's lives. Uh, You know, an introvert just heard that's a lot of work. Uh, but but to be honest, it's not an introvert-extrovert thing. Extroverts sometimes are very private people, and they just learn how to deflect their internal struggles by talking about 100,000 other things. Um, and introverts sometimes, you know, um, same same situation. And so I would argue all of us are more alike than we realize, but we all need people. Uh, very important. So uh, thank you, men, for your shepherding. Thank you for your loving these people, uh, teaching and 
drawing us to think about Christ more is what we need. Uh, and so keep up the good work. And I love you guys and appreciate you and looking forward to uh, whatever we have next after First Peter, uh, they, which they reminded me is around the corner. Um, so uh, future me will think about that. Uh, talk to the elders and pray about it. So, all right. Well, Anthony, thank you for closing this out. Thank you, men.